uh, in our Lenten journey through uh, Mark 10 through 16, uh, we come both on Palm Sunday and, and tonight to Mark 15. Uh, it is a part of that series about being amazed and afraid in the, in the presence of Jesus. And tonight we look at the death of Jesus as Mark tells that story. In some ways we do the text for Good Friday um, on Monday, Thursday because of the way things fall within this series. But I'd like to read for us Mark 15, verses 33 through 47. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for uh, for some time. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of a rock. And then they rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. Pray with me, please. Lord, help us to sit before the chilling, simple facts of Jesus' death and to see in the telling of that story that picture of truth, the truth of the extents the extent that you have gone to draw us to yourself. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Most of us, I think, if we're asked to give a simple description of the meaning of the death of Jesus or the reason for the cross, we say quite simply that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And it's true. It's a good description of 
some of what happened on the cross. But as my theology professor used to say, true, but not completely adequate. <laughs> There's more to it than that, more to it than any sort of simple statement. And something that we behold just by observing the horror of it all. There's more going on at the cross than what Jesus does for us, what Jesus does on our behalf, what Jesus does in our place, so to speak. There's something going on on the cross that he does with us, a human experience that he chooses willingly to enter into. Something he does with us, a, a choice that he makes to set aside his divine prerogative and participate fully in the darkest part of what a human being can experience. Expo, be exposed to a pain that so enters the heart of God at this point and identifies with human truth. The word has become flesh. And as Eugene Peterson says, moved into our neighborhood and experienced all that we can experience. The heights of joy and the depths of pain. And Mark, unlike the other gospel writers, doesn't really do much to explain the why of Jesus' death. He just puts those ugly facts in front of us and tells the story. He paints a picture of the experience and really gives us a picture of how Jesus enters into our experience, how he opens himself up to the worst pain that any human being can know, and not just physical pain. Although torture, the torture of crucifixion was obviously excruciatingly painful. But there's an emotional and psychological pain that we inflict on one another as human beings that results in a deep, deep wound of shame. And if a Roman cross is anything, it is an example of that kind of pain that we inflict upon one another. And when you look at Mark's telling of the story, he points to the truth of this psychological and emotional pain. It is the pain of betrayal. It is the pain of one of your friends turning you over to someone else, of really denying the friendship and exposing you to harm. It's the pain of denial for one of your closest disciples to deny that he even knows you when confronted with the accusation that he was a part of the band that Jesus had following him. It's also the pain of abandonment because what Mark does is slowly show us how people start to filter away from Jesus. And when he's arrested in the garden, his disciples all flee and they're not around the cross as well. It's the picture of that descent that Paul describes in Philippians 2. That 
choice to lay aside his divine prerogative and to assume the role of a slave and to be obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And if a cross is anything, it is a Roman reminder to all of the people that they subjugate that they are worthless in the eyes of the ones who have power. We own you. You have no agency of your own. And we're showing everyone that that is true by killing you in this way. And that produces an experience of forsakenness, which is a common human experience. It is something that at some level we all know the pain of what it means to be abandoned. We all know the pain of what it means to have those close to us seem to flee from us. And Jesus feels that pain, and Mark tells us that he feels that pain. He enters into the human experience that the psalmists write about all the time. The psalmists ask that question, where are you, God? My God, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus feels forgotten even by the Father at this point. There are some who say that this is a sign that the Father has turned his face away from Jesus because he cannot bear to see the sin. But that defies the sense of Trinity that we believe in, that Jesus is God. (laughs) That Jesus experiences at that moment the experience of a human being which is a, a kind of forsakenness by God. It's not that God has forsaken him. It's that Jesus feels forsaken, and that is the powerful moment. That is the description for Mark of Jesus' last words. Utter forsakenness. Entering into human pain. Becoming like us in every way. Yet Mark breaks into the story with a commentary. He tells the story of a conclusion offered by a strange source as he watches this death take place. And that strange source is the executioner who has put Jesus to death. And the centurion says, I think this guy was the son of God. That connection between father and son does not die because of the death of Jesus or the torture of Jesus. He is not abandoned, but remains united. The other thing that Mark tells us is that the temple curtain is torn in two, that the veil between God and human beings is taken away, that the covering over the holy of holies in the temple is now ripped asunder and that holiest space is united with our human space. That we have a place in the heart of God. For God has let himself experience the most sublime of human pain. And his followers even had not fled at this point, but stayed out of sight. The women tells us, Mark tells us, look on from a distance. And Joseph of Arimathea 
someone with some privilege, someone with some power, someone who was a part of the council that brought Jesus to Pilate in order to have Pilate kill him. That Joseph of Arimathea goes and boldly asks Pilate for the body of Jesus, using his position and his power to obtain something that brings dignity to this one who has been totally shamed before the public. A tomb of his own and a new white linen cloth to wrap the body in. Jesus never stops being the son of God. He's never separated from God's love. And he takes us with him into that place by joining us in our place. This place in God's heart from which we can never be shaken because God has now experienced the pain that every human being knows. And it's why Paul says what he says in Romans 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Only Christ Jesus, who died. Yes, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.